This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Good morning and welcome to the Football Digest weekly podcast. Thanks so much for for joining um, this week and tuning in and watching and listening. Um, With me this week is Jeremy Cross and Andy Dunn. Welcome to you guys. Lots to talk about. We've been on international duty, haven't we? And um, we'll talk about a little bit of England fallout. Harry Maguire, what do we think about that? The Champions League preview, the Champions League back with the, with the anthem next week. Um, I'm sure there might be building some places um, a la uh, Hamden Park this week, really. But also the return of the Premier League. Um, and I know a lot of people will be very happy to, to see that back. But don't worry, we've only got another month before another international break if you're missing England. Um, but look, let's start with um, Manchester United, shall we? Because I tell you what, it has dominated headlines for, well, I mean, Man United always dominates headlines, let's be honest here. But I tell you what, controversy upon controversy, we've had the latest with Anthony almost given a leave of absence to sort things out. That's on top of Jaden Sancho. That's on top of the uh, Mason Greenwood thing. That's on top of what Man United would probably call a very, very underwhelming um, transfer window, and um, shall we say, in different starts of the season. So, yeah, it's like a normal, like a normal Man United month, really, Jeremy, isn't it? I mean, blimey, how do you see the season panning out for for, for them and and Eric Ten Hag? Because I guess he would have been thinking this season's about progress. Can they still make that? Yeah, look, you know, the United supporters finished last season in Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich, you know, they finished in the top four. They're back in the Champions League where they believe they should they belong, and they do really. You know, they're such a big club, Man United, as long now. And um, they got to a cup final, two cup finals, and they won one. So you know, it was a great opening season for Tenard. I think they overachieved because um, you know he did take over one heck of a challenge. Um, at Old Trafford. Um, and then, you know, th- they made some signings in the summer, you know, the Sam Mason Mount, which is their, you know, main signing. Um, I thought they might have, um, thought they might have done more actually than what they did in the summer, but, you know, they, they, the building blocks were there and listen, we're, we're a month into the season and we're talking about a mini crisis at Man United. Um, they've lost two of the first four games. Um, They've not played well, um, you know. The, the, the issues off the pitch are, are clearly having an impact on the pitch. Um, 
and you know, four weeks in, and ten hours got various fires to put out. And uh, uh, there was an interview with Mike Feeler um, earlier this week who said, irrespective of what goes on off the pitch, if you lose two games on the spin at United or two or three games, it's, it is a crisis. And obviously, he worked there for years and Fergie and also was there at the Soska, so he, he knows he's been through it. And, and he's right, you know, because. The focus is spotlight always shines so brightly on Man United, brighter than any other club in England, really, and includes City and Liverpool in that. And um, he's got problems already. I mean, I I was talking to a mate about this who supports United, and he said he just cannot see them being good enough to get in the top four um, this season. And it's sort of daft making such a claim so soon, but you know he's probably right. I, I agreed with him, and you know um, the Premier League looks so strong again this season. I think they'll be found wanting unless unless Tar can right the ship. Um, what do you make of the off the field issues, Andy? Is the is, is the right thing being done um, over Anthony? Because you know, I mean, it's it's always a dilemma, a moral dilemma for for, for clubs. But they seem to have acted quite quickly on on this one. Is there, is there the, the right course of action? Well, I was going to say the, the the important thing is the right done as the right thing has been done. And it's actually been done in um, relatively quickly, unlike the Mason Green Greenwood situation, where you could argue that eventually, eventually, with the decision not to allow him to play for Manchester United ever again, the right decision was done. But it was done; it was came, it came too too slowly and and in a manner that, that wasn't particularly acceptable. So, you know, yes, they have done the right thing. Um, again, there's also a level where you know. It, and people will point this and say, well, you know, it, it, these type of things seem to happen, happen too often to Manchester United. There is an element that's beyond their control. You know, let, 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 let's, let's be, you know, let, let's be fair to them. We can't blame the, um, we can't blame sitting off the field scenarios purely on them. They, they literally cannot, you know, run the lives of every single employee at the club away from away from their watch when they're at the club. So I do think we should be a little bit careful about saying, well, you know, United is in some sort of badly run club that, and these things are, are bound to happen. These, it, it just happens that um, they've happened at United. Um, but the wider issue, of course, um, I'll come back to what Jeremy was saying about the player, but the wider issue off the pitch is the continuing ownership situation, which, which you know, can't really... I mean, again, it's a stretch to link the ownership, um, ongoing ownership saga with um, mediocre performances on the pitch, but it still can't help because you know people must still in executive positions have a little bit of uncertainty, and the direction in the end comes from the owners, you know, and and y- you look at United and you don't see a great deal of direction, not even on the pitch. One thing I would say about the whole thing um, about Manchester United. And it's very easy. You can pick up, you can read all the headlines about them being an absolute, you know, a, a basket case of a club, et cetera, et cetera. And people will say, well, look, they've fallen behind City, they've fallen behind Real Madrid, they've fallen whatever. You know what? I mean, under the radar this week almost, they signed a new shared sponsor deal. They signed a new, and that was £60 million a year. £60 million a year. In the summer, was it? I think they signed a, a new deal with Adidas, nine hundred million pound deal. 
they are still, still absolutely commercial gold dust for people. So, so it, it just it, it, that also gives you an insight into why the Glaze is asking for top dollar. You know, United still has that pulling power. But the the issue that we that we started off on the pitch, I, I find, you know, it, they've been mediocre. They they've lost two out of four. They were very very lucky to win one of the two games they've won, which was the game against Wolves. Um, last year, remember they got beaten by Brighton, who they play this weekend, and Brentford to kick off the season. You know, they, they are an underwhelming team at the moment, and 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 I agree that they punched above their weight last season, but again. They were so, you know, there were games when you actually couldn't quite believe that they were they were going to finish top three. Um, transfer window they haven't done, you know. I, I agree with, with, with Jeremy, with you in particular about pretty underwhelming. You know, Mason Mount, you know, should be okay. Um, obviously spent a lot of money on on Rasmus Hoyland, and he might turn out to be okay. You know, everyone I think was baffled that they didn't at least make a concerted effort to get Harry Kane. Um, and the problem is, is do you look at them and you look at who, if you think they're going to challenge for the title, who the rival is going to be, you look at the starts of the season they've made and just left to pick three, Manchester City, Liverpool and Arsenal, and all three look a rung, well, two of them look a rung above United, one of them looks two rungs above United. And you just wonder down, and on a practical level, you know, there's six points behind Manchester City. Gaining six points on Man City, even with 34 games to go, you know, it's tough. We all, we, know, we know that. Varane's injured. Mount's injured. Um, the goalkeeper they've just signed from Milan, he's um, just reversed his decision to... I'm talking about Anana, obviously. He's just reversed the decision to come out of international retirement. So he'll be gone for up to seven games um, the African Cup of Nations. That's another headache. So if, if Mark sat in his office at Carrington today, wrote down a list of positives and negatives on a piece of paper, the list of negatives would get to the bottom of the sheet and the positives wouldn't even scratch the surface. You know what? I think that one of the things that um, it, it, over the last, not just since Ten Hag's been here, over the last you know, half a decade, six years or whatever, one thing about Manchester United, they seem to have been, and listen, stats might not back me up here, but they seem to have been unusually um, cursed with injury. They, they they seem to pick up a lot of injuries, um, and contrast that with Manchester City last season. One of the things that about City's campaign last season was that come March or April, astonishingly, and consider how big their squad is, they had a fully fit roster. I, it was remarkable, and I'm not just talking about injuries as well. When I look at this Manchester United team, I look around the pitch and I think they're not as fit as. They don't seem to be, again, stats might prove me wrong, but they don't seem to be quite as 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 fit and as mobile as, say, a City or an Arsenal or a Liverpool even. And I sometimes wonder if that's, that's an element of it. And I sometimes wonder if the the injury list, which always seems to be extensive, if it isn't just 100% bad luck. What could that be down to? Could be down to the training regimes, couldn't it? This we all we all know that the the um you know to be and uh, nowadays and it's always been the same, but even more so nowadays that to, to be the very best, you know, people go into clubs and managers and they demand the very best in every single department, whether that be catering, you know, or or, or you know travel, and in particular, obviously, which is absolutely fundamental. 
the medical and physical departments. We all know, you know, how that has changed. We all know the expertise. They want the best, you know, you know, they want the best because clearly you want your players available. And, you know, going way back from, you know, the almost now fabled time when Arsene Wenger came into the game and, you know, we were uh, we were all saying, oh my word, you know, look at the 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 revolution he's he's coming into the the physical demands, you know, and they you know, go going way back to like not having tomato sauce and stuff like that. Well, it's a bit more advanced than that now. We all know it's a lot more advanced than that. And I just wonder, I'm, listen, I might be wrong. I'm, and so, so I'm not in any way casting aspersions against United's medical or physical staff. What I am saying is that at one point you've got to look at it and think, is there anything we can do to stop us getting, you know, so many injuries that they seem to suffer? Or is it just bad luck? It could just be bad luck. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. I don't think it's ever bad luck on, on, on if, we, if you've got a catalogue of injuries. I think everything has to come together. And I think that basically that, that, that planning, and I think there's normally a pattern of seeing. I mean, surprise, surprise, Varane, who's, let's be honest, in the last few years, if he chose his career, has been an injury-prone player. And there's no getting away from that. It's a player that you probably have to manage. Man United have just been on an exhaustive, you know, pre-season tour. I mean, it, it's just, it's, I, I mean... Crikey, you even get the smallest, world's smallest violin out for the for, for the journalists trying to sort of trace it. There's a flight every day. Vegas, New York. Yeah, oh, torture. It was torture. Um, but no, I um, I, I, I mean, surely, you know, you've got to have a look at that. And that's commercial, isn't it? Chase the money, possibly, don't they? They go, they go where the money is. Well, they do. But I wonder, you know, I wonder what, you know, Ten Hag in his heart of hearts really thinks about that. I am, I would, I do want to take it back to Sancho, Jeremy, in that just basically, this is a one that really interests me. That basically, I mean, there's a good story in the in the in, in the mail written by Sammy Mockbell, just saying basically, you know, sort of cut the members of the United hierarchy are trying to sort of broker a peace deal here, and that raised real alarm bells with me. I was thinking, really, really, you know, I wonder, I wonder whose perspective that that is from, by the way. But it's just that, that basically. Um, because, you know, let's get it right here. It's, uh, ten and a half after Arsenal w- was asked, why isn't Sancho in the squad? He's given a very, very, almost a bland but straight answer, saying that basically I picked the, you know, pick the squad based on, on, on training, i.e. the inference that he's not, he's not done enough. And then, you know, I have to say that's, you know, it's heart barely registers as a story, but it becomes an issue 
when Sancho rebels against his manager and defies his manager by posting on social media. How on earth do we go from that where, you know, effectively a player is allowed to challenge his, his manager publicly and then basically you've got members of the hierarchy trying to broker peace? Well, I'm sorry, if the, man- if the manager doesn't have the final say, you, you, you're done. You're absolutely done. You're spot on there, Crossy. And you know what? This, this issue has blown up. So big now in the last, what, less than two weeks, it encapsulates what we've just been talking about with Manchester United. A, how things become out of control. Uh, the media love it, obviously. And, you know, it's just another major, major negative for Tenard to deal with. And if, if, Listen, the board at Man United, they would love Sancho to get back in the team, play well. They've spent 75 million quid on him. He's earning north of 200,000 pounds a week. They've got a lot of money invested in someone who, who is, you know, who was essentially a bright young, a bright young talent, a great young talent for English football. And uh, from what people I speak to at United, it sounds like the. the the, the chasm that now exists between player and manager is so bad, it's so great that you cannot see him having a future money right now. Also, like you just said, if it's down to the board to back their manager, is to, if he if Tanard thinks his attitude is not up to what it should be, and he's not he does not deserve any of a place in the squad, let alone the team, they should back him on that. And now it sounds to me like they're trying to broker a deal between the two two parties. You know, I don't think that's healthy at all for Tanard. One, they should say, look, if you don't think this player is going to make it under you, we'll find a way to find him another club and cut the losses on him and, you know, try and get him there. Even if it's just a loan move somewhere in January. I mean, what the, heck, what the heck will they do with him between now and then? I don't know because, you know, I'm led to believe that players will support him. They've seen him players supporting the Tenant's decision to lead him out of the squad. It sounds like the players are siding with the manager. Well, it's just it's turned into an absolute mess. Yeah, it really has. I mean, looking at the pitch, guys, you know, this weekend, they're facing Brighton. I do actually think Brighton are almost your worst nightmare because, they, you know, the way they play with such energy, such intensity, you know, such a direction. They're brilliant teams, brilliant team to watch. And they won at, at Old Trafford last season. Actually, they beat United at the, the Amex, didn't they? Didn't they do the double? And so basically, um, I mean, really, it's not it's not the team that you'll be facing this weekend, is it really? But it does feel as if, and I don't know whether you'd agree that really it's a big it's a big game for United. It's a big test this one because an indifferent start, two wins, two defeats, is a bad it becomes a really bad start if it's two wins, three three defeats. If you see what I mean. Yeah, it certainly does, and, and and there's every chance that will happen. I, I, and it becomes, you know, I, I spoke about separating the off the field issues with the with the on the pitch issues, but but in a situation like that, they would only highlight what's gone on off off the pitch. I think they've got, you know, I think they've got a, 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 it's clearly it's a really really tough game. You know, Brighton do have. I mean, what I think over the last year or so, Brighton, you know, have been obviously one of the one of the outstanding stories of the Premier League. They do have the odd bad day in them. I mean, let, 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 let's get that right. They've had one this season and, and they had a couple last season, you know, against Everton, for example, at home. So they do have a, 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 an off day in them. So I don't think it's any guarantee they're going to come in and win um, at all Trafford. However, I'm assuming, 
um, that Evan Ferguson will have recovered from the injury that kept him out of international duty, assuming that, assuming he does, even if he doesn't, I think Brighton will cause that back line of Manchester United. You know, I don't know what it's going to be and, and, and who's available. You know, we'll be missing, you know, players. I think, you know, I, I think they will cause them serious problems. And yes, you know, and, and on you know, you know what, we've, we've changed, haven't we, in a way? Um, I mentioned before about them being six points behind Manchester City. And you know, this is the start of the season. This is only the fifth game. Um, is it the fifth? Yeah, the fifth game um, yeah, of, of, of um, game week five is whatever um, the Premier League would like to call it. EPL. Used to be called Saturday, you know, in, in my day. But anyway, there you go. So it's game week five. And I think, you know, in the past, we would have sent around and we wouldn't particularly be sort of saying that if a team had won two and lost three, you wouldn't you wouldn't begin, you wouldn't even start to think about, you know, what's going to happen next spring in terms of the eventual title. But now what City have done, and Liverpool in a couple of those seasons when they've challenged City and beat them on that one occasion to the title, what they've done, they've rewritten it. You know, it, it's now, so when everyone assumes that you've got to get 90 plus points now to win a title. Everyone assumes that, they, that you know, you, you're probably going to have to get 94 95 points to win a title. And then if you've only got, you know, I'm doing quick maths here. If you if you've only got six points after five games, then people are assuming you've got to get the best part of 90 points from your remaining 33 games. You know, which doesn't take a a, a, a great mathematician to work out that virtually people are saying you've almost got to win every game. That's how the dynamic's been changed. Does anyone expect Manchester City this season not to get 90 plus points? Probably not. You know, you know, I, I, it, it's 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 unlikely. That's what what's bizarre. Whereas, not so long ago, that would have been absolute guaranteed title win, whatever. So yes, just on a practical point of view, to lose three games in your first five would be seen not just for Manchester United either, not just for Manchester United, but for all the big clubs. That's why they they, they you know they need to get off to this fast start. So, I think it'd be. I, I'm just gonna feel United. You know. They, they can raise their game in Old Trafford, you know. So I'm not. I would still have them as marginal favourites to beat Brighton. The other issue is Crossy. The the face of a good Brighton team, obviously, at the weekend, and they go to Munich to play by Munich. Yeah. And Harry Kane, who's made a good start, the player they wanted to sign and didn't, you know, Bayern Munich at home. I know Bayern Munich can't, you know, not quite the force they once were, but they're still a top top team. Um, you know, Kane will be licking his lips at playing against that United defence, especially one without Varane in it. So, you know, lose at Brighton and then, you know, maybe get a heavy defeat in Munich and then the Tenard got a major crisis on his hands. Before we leave United, let's touch on Harry Maguire, really. We've, we, we, you know, we've all done England this week. Um, we're all at Hamden to hear um, the, 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 you know, the uh, abuse, ironic cheers, the taunting, call it what you like, uh, from the Scotland fans towards Maguire. And then, you know, the, the England fans reacted brilliantly, didn't they, in support of their defender. They, the match-going England fan has, has frankly largely always been with Maguire. You know, it's been a couple of things in there, but but basically, largely, he, he's he's loved because of what he's done in the England shirt. You know, a, a major tournament, and he's kind of almost a boy next door uh, story for for a lot of those fans that the fans can relate to him. But Southgate's comments post match about the kind of you know really 
an absolute joke. It's very rare to see Southgate as strong as that, so emotional as that. Um, and, you know, he was talking about basically uh, people crossing the line with criticism, which is almost kind of, you know, I guess he means, you know, people across the media really, um, uh, you know, feeding into, I wish you'd been a little bit more specific really, but there you go. Anyway, um, they're feeding into kind of the, the vitriol and the, the stick that he gets from fans. What do we make for, uh, of that, guys? What do you make of that, Andy? Because you've written extensively, haven't you, about Maguire. What do you, you know, what do, what do you, what do you think? I thought I, I'm, I mean I said that I was I was I was a bit taken aback when um, um, after the game when we, we sat there and you know just a normal press conference and and Gareth was his normal self you know trying not to heap too much praise on Jude Bellingham you know we asked him about Jude Bellingham and he preferred to talk about Kieran Trippier that sort of thing you know um, being his, his his normal you know and if there's anyone who who, who stands for like diplomacy and um, it's got it's got a south kick. but then it, clearly he wants to get something off his chest, and then and then probably did with this tirade against people. It it, it, it half reminded me. I mean, because I mean, let's cards cards on the table. You know, I mean, parts of the people he was referring to were us, basically. You know, well, you know, print journalists. Um, we were there. It, it, it half reminded me when he came out with the idiots thing that it, it half reminded me of well, blimey, twenty years ago, something like that. You know, when um. A native of that area where where Gareth was on Tuesday, um, Sir Alex Ferguson called us all idiots um, because we were criticising Juan Sebastian Veron. Famously, you know, actually said that you're all well. Gareth didn't do the profanity bit, but you know, which Ferguson did um, on that occasion. And I, I, you know what? I actually think I was surprised, and also I, I don't, I think he was a little bit over the top. I really do, because one thing I, I've been through sort of like a lot of stuff about what's been written and said about Maguire. And do I think it's crossed over into, into well, into cruelty, into it, 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 over the top? I know a lot of people have written about that, 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 that it may have gone over the top. I don't think so, really, you know? I mean, listen, he, he, he was a pantomime villain the other night. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I, and I do think that there has been a pantomime element to, one, his, his, his rise to... To being, you know, um, let's face it, like one of our most charismatic in terms of how he plays on the pitch, and you know, one of our most significant defenders, and and his fall at Manchester United to not being able to get in the team. This and unfortunately, the things that follow him round, like the own goal on Tuesday, has only added to that pantomime element of it. You know, so I don't think, and as Maguire said himself after the game, he actually referred to one point as banter, and and he clearly can 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 take it. Do I think that it's gone over the top? No, I don't particularly. I, I don't. And and I, I, I think, you know, all down the ages, you know, we've all known players who've been singled out and got and got treatment. Whatever. Listen, up in that part of the world, for example, we, we, you, you talk to players who've got stick, you know, you're talking stuff that is far, far, far more serious than getting ironic cheers when you make a pass. Um, let's get that straight now. People, players have been victimised. I mean, far, 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 far more seriously than that. So, no, I thought it was liberal top. But I'll tell you what, I do think, just I, I won't be on, but I'll tell you what I do think, an interesting byproduct of it is. Southgate was so, so supportive of Maguire. He talked about his resilience. He talked about no player has done as much as him for the success of the team that has been the second most successful in the world. No player has been as essential as Maguire over these last five years. He was so adamant. And... I think it's put an end to this debate. I know it will go on and people are still saying it. 
Maguire's in. I mean, he can't drop Maguire out for the next squad. It doesn't matter if he doesn't kick a ball between now and then. He can't drop him for this next squad. I actually think, I listened to Gareth Southgate there and I thought, he'll look back on that, and, and, and he really is. I'm not saying he put himself into a corner, but Maguire's in. And anyone, anyone who thinks, the argument that we all put forward, oh, he's got to play regular Premier League football between now and the Euros, whatever. I think it's nonsense. I, 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 think, I think not only is he in the next squad, nor is he in the squad after that. He goes to Germany, regardless of whether he moves out to United in, in, on the January window. As Maguire himself said, United's injury crisis, which seems to be permanent, the number of games they've got, Carabao Cup, um, Champions League, FA Cup starting af- after the um, um, after Christmas, he'll play games. He, he got on against Arsenal. He'll play against Brighton at some stage, if, if not starting. He'll get games. That'll be enough. Maguire, Southgate made clear, he's his man. He goes to Germany right now. Yeah, I, I do think it's. I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I must say, you know, I, 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 you know, wrote about something and basically saying that basically, I, I, I think some of the stick sort of kind of you know veers when it's you know I don't know vitriol bears into sort of kind of comedy. Is I don't I think it's harsh and I think it does cross the line really. But you can be you can be constructive in your criticism as you have today, John. Yeah. Well, I don't think he should start the next game. You know, I think as you rightly say, Andy, I think you'll be in the next squad. But I mean, I do, you know, I mean, Jamie Carragher's written in the Telegraph, hasn't he? And sort of said that basically, you know, it, it, he's done really well for England, but his time has come and gone. That's from an exposed constructive criticism, you know. I mean, one of my more favourite radio people sort of kind of tweeted something the other day, sort of saying, oh, kind of, yeah, agree with Gareth on this. I mean, quickly followed by almost with comedy timing, you know, sort of a tweet from his, you know, his radio station with two two of their sort of presenters absolutely, you know, ripping it out of Maguire on on a comedy level. Well, you know, yeah, you sort of kind of you, you can't have it both ways, can you? Really, you know, just I just think it does, it does, it does cross a, cross a line there. Really, you expect, don't you, Southgate? It's his prerogative to, to defend a player. He clearly likes a lot, and he's he cares for. He picks. He continues to pick him and. Show faith in him, but by making that blooming blooming that story up by say being emotional, saying what he said afterwards, he's just gonna he's just gonna make fans away fans just give him even more stick. And then that's the problem now. When he, if he's playing, ultimately, as a player who cost eighty million pounds and snubbed Manchester City to join United, he's still the most expensive defender in world football. He became Man United captain. He's now been stripped of the captaincy. He can't get in the team. It's an astonishing story, really, isn't it? And where the line, where you cross the line in terms, you know, giving him stick is an endless debate, isn't it? You know, if it becomes personal, then it's not right. But I, I, I don't, I don't agree with Southgate. I think, listen, we've all written negative things about Maguire in, recent, in the last twelve months because there is a negative narrative around it. He's just, he's in a bad place. There's no getting away from that. You know, he came and spoke to us, didn't he, after the game, fair play to him for doing that. Because facing up to us guys is probably the last thing he wanted to do. He's probably wanted to go out. So, you know, and he remains a, a decent bloke. You know, we deal with him, don't we, on England. And he's, you know, he's always been good with us and helped us out and stopped and spoke to us. But I think Southgate's wider than Mark there in terms of what he said. Who he's, who, who he's picking on. Yeah, I, I just think he's, you know, got a point when I think it when it veers into 
you know, vitriol and ridicule and it turns it into a pantomime villain. But I do think everyone's entitled to an opinion, which, you know, a lot of us feel as if fair play, he's loyal to him, but picking him in the squad, but should he start games? You know. But he will. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Listen, we've gone on quite a long on, on, on Man United and Maguire, but basically, you know, I'll tell you what, Man City, you know, do face a difficult test um, this weekend, don't they, at, at West Ham? It's interesting, isn't it? Because West Ham started, obviously, the season really well, um, you know, uh, uh, and, and it's clearly going to be a difficult place for, for City. How much of a test is this for Pep? But, you know, they're newly returned Pep after back surgery. I think, it, um, I, think it, I think it's a really serious test. I think City, you know, strange as it is, it sounds, you know, they're they're they've won four hours of four. Um and you could argue, you know, I've been pretty much nowhere near the best. Now you can look at that two ways. You can say, well, actually, that's frightening because what happens when they actually do shift through the gears as they inevitably will. Um, or you could say, well, actually, you know, they they, they are vulnerable. And I think they are a little bit vulnerable. Um, they've got injury issues, you know. It, it, I mean, I think De Bruyne, the absence of De Bruyne for such a long time will be Will be um, a real test for the yeah, a real a real test on, on on their squad. You know they've got a couple of new players um, in Doku and um, and Nunes. How how quickly they can settle in? You know history shows that new signings tend to take um, a, a good deal of time. You know as long as twelve months to become accustomed to the demands, the unique demands of Pep Guardiola. Um, John Stones, of course, you know is unlikely to play. Jack Grealish is injured. Um, this will be, I mean, a real, real test of their of their um, qualities, of course, which are which are many um, at the London Stadium. I, I do. I, I, it, I think it's a tough one to call. I mean, we know that City can produce. We know that City certainly have gone there and, and produced on previous occasions. So I don't know. I just think, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's as, as, even though they've you know played Newcastle at home, I do think this is the, this is this is one that is probably. The biggest test so far this season. It's a tricky one, isn't it? I'll tell you, there's, a, there's another one that really catches the eye. Everton Arsenal um, uh, Sunday, and particularly, I want to focus on Everton really, Jesse, because obviously ownership issue a big a big thing for them. And it, it says here on the script, brilliantly put together by Connor as ever. Um, relegation battle already set. Burnley, Luton, Everton, Sheffield United. Bournemouth, oh, he's been harsh on Bournemouth there. And Wolves, I mean, really, uh, Everton should not be in this mess. But after two, you know, two years of struggles, at least and beyond the finances, you know, difficulties and doubts over the ownership and the ground, where, you know, I mean, even if they get a new owner, it's going to be one hell of a long struggle this season, isn't it? Yeah, listen, Everton is the biggest curiosity, isn't it, in the Premier League right now? You know, we all know this tradition of the club. They are a massive club, Everton, um, you know, and they are in deep trouble. I watched them play at Sheffield United before the international break, and they weren't very good. They should have lost that game. Pickford, Pickford bailed them out with an astonishing double save right, right at the death. You know, they, they could well have left there with nothing. We've got one point. Um, and, you know, Sean Dyche has got taken on a job there, which 
as we've seen with Frank Lampard prior to him, it's, it's a real poison chalice simply because the club is so dysfunctional in the boardroom and with the ownership. You know, when you look at some of the signings they've made, players they've bought and then sold, the, the amount of money they've lost on players is absolutely unfathomable. I was looking at it the other week and, um, you know, listen, new owners have to be a positive, whoever they are. It's obviously these financial investors from Florida who own several other clubs around um, Europe. Because it's got so poisonous with Mashiri and Kenwright, who's still hanging around as chairman. It's just so baffling how bad it's become. It's laughable, really. It's embarrassing for Everton. But the problem is, they won't be able to spend any money on new players until January. So come January, where will Everton be in the league table? Not high up. I, would, I think we'll be, they'll be in the bottom three, or you know, they'll be scrapping like they have been for the last couple of years to stay up. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what pans out. But supporters have become so desperate. They will welcome with open arms any new ownership because the current one has been so bad. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you what, guys, it says here on the script, um, they have a really poor record at Goodison Park. They've had no wins since 2017. And I, I, I'm, I'm, pres- I'm presuming, Andy, that, that Connor there means Arsenal rather than Everton. He, 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 of course he does. You've missed the gag there, haven't you? But there you go. Anyway, but there you go. I told it really badly. But no, Andy, I mean, you see a lot of Everton. You know Everton well. I mean, you know, it's worrying times for that football club, isn't it? Well, yeah, it is. And that's been a fair bit. You know, that's the only news. It's been worrying times since, like, you know, goodness knows when. Yeah, of course it is. Since about 1987. Well, well, but, but uh, well, they were exciting times when Mashiri came in. Um, and if you remember when he came in and he said, I'm not just aiming for, you know, to get everything into Europe, I'm aiming for top four, we're going to be a Champions League club, et cetera, et cetera. And he put a lot of money in and, and they bought spectacularly badly. Um, just quickly going back to that, the Arsenal staff, they don't do very well there. And in fact, you could almost pinpoint that one of their particular blips last season was at Goodison Park. I was at that game and Arsenal turned up. Arsenal turned up as though, like, you know, they were going to swagger through the game and win. And, um, and, and Everton won. Um, um, yeah, so, so anyway, yeah, listen, so so I think if for another day, the debate's about where it's all gone wrong in the boardroom, the recruitment and whatever. But just focus on this current team. Clearly, Everton's issue is scoring goals. Clearly, that, that that is the main issue. Obviously, it goes without saying they need to get a good run of fitness from Dominic Calvert-Lewin. The new signing Beto, I think, looks okay. I think Dan Juma provides a threat. You know, a good threat. That, and, and, and that might come, they might come good going forward. I actually think from what I've seen, and Jordan Pickford actually said this when he was on international duty, that the Everton actually haven't been as bad as 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 a return of as the return of one point or whatever from the first you know four games suggests. You know, certainly they should have won the you know, they were they've been good at home without without um turning those in into victory, particularly against Fulham, for example. So Evertonians up here, they're not you know, I don't think it, 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 it's as the, normally it is doom and gloom as been the last couple of years, and people outside don't realise that. But I think people outside actually probably look at it, uh, probably think it's more doom and gloom than it is. I think Evertonians are. I think it'll be a cracking atmosphere at Goodison Park. I don't think Everton fans are as pessimistic as maybe people might perceive. I think they think they have played actually quite well in phases of all four opening games. And if they can just get that, that I mean, obviously it, it, that's the the golden question. Is if they can just get that final, um, that final third right, 
then I think they'll, they'll climb climb up the table. I mean, I actually had them down um, in my predictions as being one of the three relegated teams this season. Strange enough, even though they've had this bad start, I'm actually think I'm actually now more hopeful that they'll stay up than I was before a ball was kicked and they haven't won a game. Right, something. Don't worry, they'll put that right on Sunday. But anyway, Champions League preview. Um, uh, you know, the two Manchester clubs are in there. Arsenal return for, for the first time in some years. But I tell you what, next week is going to be a lot of it is going to be about Newcastle, isn't it? And what a group, by the way. You know, Dortmund, Milan, and um, and PSG. But also about the history of Newcastle. What first time back in twenty years? What a fantastic return, you know, an, an opportunity. Frankly, they probably go into it not on the best of great starts, really, do they, Jeremy? But I don't know what you think about their kind of, you know, their, their run. I mean, is is that is that a group they, they should relish or a group that, you know, because it's got the glamour ties and, and, and some lovely trips and some amazing ties at St. James's, or, or is it an absolute nightmare? Which way do you fall? The tough one, isn't it? I mean, the, the fans will obviously love it, won't they? The fans will go into that campaign thinking three great trips away, they can afford to go, three great home games in front of a bouncing St. James's part. They'll love it, win, lose, or draw. Um, we spoke to Kieran Trippier actually uh, a few days ago. And we asked him about the draw. And he said, especially the local homegrown players in the squad, they said they were absolutely bouncing off the walls when they saw the draw. Loved it, uh, the challenge. We said they will go out there and play on the front foot if they can and try and, you know, spring a few surprises. Well, you wouldn't back them to get through, would you, from the group, given the quality that uh, they're up against. And, you know, it, it, like you say, they've started really poorly this season. Um, but you just know that Newcastle will get better domestically. They will, they will be in the top six at least. So do you know that? That they will get better and they will finish top six. I don't know for sure, but when you look at the the team they have, the strength of the team, they have a good squad. You know, listen, they need luck with injuries and various other things. But I'd be surprised if Newcastle don't start climbing the table. Do you, do you, do you think they might struggle this season? No, I just think the start has been difficult. You know, it's been a bad start. It's a big season already, how because he set the bar so high. They now expect them to go to that next level, make more progress this season. It's going to be a make-break season pretty hard, that's for sure. What, what I find interesting about Newcastle is when we say, are we sure you know, they're going to do well again? Obviously, the added workload of, of, of a Champions League group, never mind a Champions League group of that calibre, I mean, will be a strain on this squad. I just found it... I found their summer signings underwhelming. I'm, I was surprised at Newcastle's transfer activity. I thought, and I know they're, they're also constrained by FFP, um, but I found their I found their summer transfers. I don't. I, I, I couldn't quite get get my head around them. You know, I listen. Tonali might well be a good player, um, and certainly played very well in that opening game that I was at against Aston Villa. But do I think you know he's a he's a guaranteed success in the Premier League? Not particularly. Liveramento, I couldn't really understand why they need him. Um, obviously, in Harvey Barnes again, you know, again, not their their activity in the window didn't particularly strike me as as the sort of activity that would, that would continue their push 
into that, you know, elite top four. So I think they'll have a really tough season. I really do. And of course, it'll be a learning curve for Eddie Howe as well, put, you know, trying to manip, trying to balance massive games like the one on whether it's Tuesday or Wednesday, is it Tuesday is it in, in Milan, you know, with big big domestic games as well. So I think it'll be a real yes, it'll be great for the fans, you know. But one thing I would say is the 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 attraction and the luster of that soon wears off if you're getting beaten. So, you know, they need to get a couple of results. Yeah, they do. I mean, I think it's interesting, isn't it, for for, for the two Manchester clubs. I mean, you know, Man United, the, the reunion, you know, for an English football perspective with Harry Kane is a really eye-catching fixture, isn't it? Isn't it next week? But they should go through that group, you know, with Copenhagen, Galatasaray, with all due respect. But that game, you know, I wonder what I wonder what kind of you know United are, are thinking basically because on the other side is Harry Kane, a player that they clearly liked, we're never going to get, and then basically you know now he is you know in great form. I don't know what you think, guys, but I mean may, maybe maybe there's an aura there or, or or kind of you know it's just our perception, Jeremy. But I tell you what, I thought Kane on international duty probably had an extra spring in his step. Had a sort of kind of that that sort of ring of steel around him. No one could get close to him as he kind of fastened things and scored, didn't he? Led by example, was playing on the last man on on Tuesday night. No, he's great, absolutely great. And I think he's got something. I think he'll have something to prove, won't he? As to, uh, in as much as saying this is why I went to Bayern Munich. Yeah, look, he and don't forget he, he set the goal, didn't he? In um, in Poland, that I mean, I've always. He's the best passer of a ball in the in the team, England team. No, no, but obviously his main role is to score goals and scores lots of those. But he is a wonderful passer. Of football. Uh, yeah, look, he's now at an elite club, isn't he? Okay, and he's got he's got the movie wanted. He's playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world, and it will make him feel good. You know, it will give him that extra level of confidence, surrounded by better players at Bayern than he was at Tottenham. He'll score an absolute bag full of goals for. for um, but I mean, there's no doubt about it. And yeah, look, United clearly wanted him. He didn't, you know, he he didn't want to go to United by the sounds of it. Um, but he knows he knows what it takes to score against Man United. Has done it loads of times uh, for Tottenham. So I'd be surprised if he didn't get one or two goals uh, in the week. It's the that's the whole story, isn't it? How do United stop Harry Kane? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Arsenal got Arsenal back in the Champions League after some years. Severe PSV and 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 Lons. They should should maybe you know get through that group into the knockout so they can get knocked out in the last sixteen as as as, as perennially happens. Um, I'm joking. Um, but the the other one I just wanted just before we go is Brighton. Their first season in Europe. What a, what a fantastic achievement that is. And frankly, they've become the template for. For every team that wants to get promoted and and, and being in the um, in the Premier League, haven't they? To to get into Europe, what a fantastic achievement! Great move forward. So on that positive note, guys, it's very nice to see you all, and thanks ever so much indeed for for watching, tuning in, and uh, yeah, really looking forward to getting back to the Premier League action this weekend and some European football, which is always great next week. <laughs>